Sherry, I can't stop thinking about how angry you used to make me. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, what with your your maturity and your responsibility <laughs> and your dedication to parenting. You know, your, your refusal just to get drunk with me and be carefree. I can remember there were times on a Friday or Saturday night when I'd say, let's just, let's just sit on the porch and have something to drink and, you know... That, that paints a, a mature picture of relaxation and cutting loose and enjoying an evening. Maybe we'll look at the stars. But really, I just wanted you to drink gallons of alcohol with me and numb out and fade away and then probably have sex. And this podcast is not about sex, Sherry, so you can relax. Thank goodness I was starting to feel anger well up in me if we had to talk about <laughs> sex again. Starting to feel anger as I'm talking about my anger. But I really did. I used to get really mad at... I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it would be really upsetting when I would... I mean, I was plenty good at drinking alone. Don't get me wrong. And I had plenty of experience drinking alone. But, you know, drinking alone should have been reserved for the weekdays. When it was weekends, I didn't want to drink alone. I wanted you to drink with me. (laughs) And early on in our relationship, you did. We would go out to bars and be with friends. But once we had kids, that changed, and you weren't quite as excited to just sit around and drink alone with me. Well, our experience on the weekends when we were before kids of going out to our friends never led to a mature-looking way of operating operating and living and enjoying your weekend night. It's always kind of messy and hungover and Yeah, so it was a real drag when you brought that maturity thing into our relationship. Stopped acting like a 20-something adolescent yourself and insisted upon providing good care and protection for our kids. That really that really got me down. But, you know, I bring this up because and there's there's nothing light about it. There's nothing to make light of. But the fact is that there's a ton of anger in an alcoholic relationship, Mm -hmm. and it goes both ways. Oh, yeah. And the source of the anger is something that's really important to identify. And I could just, you know, we could make this a three-minute podcast episode. By the way, listeners, welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. I'm Matt Salis, and I'm here with my wife, Sherry Salis. We could make this a three-minute podcast episode by saying, oh, the alcohol is the cause of the anger there. Just get rid of the alcohol and the anger goes away. Well, that's not true. Well, it's not. It's much more than three-minute conversation. And getting rid of the alcohol doesn't just <laughs> yeah. make the anger go away. I, you can definitely blame the anger on the alcohol to a large, large, large extent. But there's more going on there, and that's that's what I want to talk about today. So while I was angry at you because you wouldn't drink with me and just, you know, not worry about the little lives we were trying to keep alive and just party the night away, you you were angry at me too, right, for that lack of maturity and that lack of responsibility? Um, yeah, and I think by that point there was a lot more anger and thing and other feelings that had built up. So it was. So the resentments so it was like, were building. Yeah, the resentments were definitely building, and I think at that point, like I, I kind of remember those nights, like you know, or if I would have one, you know, drink with you, and I would stop and want to go in and go to bed or whatever. Like by that time in our lives, I already had a lot of other reasons that I felt like to be angry, and a lot of other issues that. So it was really easy for me to get like out of control, angry. And yeah, does yeah. that make sense? It like, does. Like it was, it, the anger was there from fairly early on, and it just kind of. And then at that point, it was like lived all the time right below yeah. the surface, and yeah, wouldn't take much to spark it up. Yeah, and I know that you were good at getting out of control, angry. That yes. is for sure. Yes. Yeah, I, and I, I mean, I still am, and I know that I have a very short temper, and um. So I know that it's real. It's not. It doesn't take much to make me angry, or and and act angry, and 
outwardly act angry. I think that's interesting. People talk about having a short temper. I think the subject that we're going to talk about as we dive deeper into anger paints that in a really different light. Um, And I I guess I don't want to get ahead of my skis and start talking about something that's hard to explain. But I, I will just say for now... I don't think a short temper is what we think it is. It isn't a lack of willpower or self-control. It's just an indication that the pain lives so close to the surface that it's not hard to bring it out. Does that make sense? Yeah, that is, that's a good way to describe it. Like, I think there's a saying, like, you wear your heart on your sleeve, you know, or... Mm-hmm. like, And that just means, like, you're tender-hearted, but I think, like, you know, it could be with that way with any emotion. And and it's always, I feel like anger is a lot of complex emotions. It, it is that, you know, that's a, that's a good segue. Anyone who is interested in personal growth or development or becoming a better person or self-help has probably come across the concept that anger is really just a manifestation of fear. I mean, that's that's pretty popular wisdom that you can find out there in the big bad world of what's wrong with me and how can I fix it. And I figure anyone who's listening to the Untoxicated podcast, anyone who's made it six minutes into listening to us, um, you know, there are probably people that occasionally download this accidentally, but they wouldn't make it six minutes. So anyone who's six minutes into this episode is probably really into these things, personal growth development, fixing what's wrong with them, fixing their relationship, dealing with alcoholism. So those kinds of people, you know, it's, I guess what I'm saying is if, if we were just going to have a podcast episode that, that talked about how anger is really a manifestation of fear, we wouldn't be doing any service to our listeners because they already know that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've come across that before, right? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Actually, it was a, our pastor during one of his sermons that said that. And honestly, that was the first time I had heard it. And then um, when I started like looking deeper into some books about anger and, you know, um, dealing with my own feelings, then I, I ran across that quite a bit. Yeah. That it's just a manifestation. I think you said manifestation of our fears. Yeah. A way to express our fears. Mm-hmm. You know, so I've kind of lived with that for a while now. I don't know, a decade or something of, of believing that. Maybe not that long. And and I, I still think there's truth in it. I'm not here to argue that point, but I, I would like to put a twist on it. And this twist didn't come from some great insight that I came up with. This twist came from one of the, the people in our Echoes of Recovery group. This week, Sherry, we, on a video call with, with a bunch of members of the group, somebody was talking about anger and she talked about how we really need to look at at what anger means about us, not about the person we're angry at, not necessarily about the fear that we feel in a certain situation. But maybe when we get to the point of outwardly expressing anger, we're really angry with ourselves. And it was just really profound for me. And that's so that's that's what I want to talk about. Not anger as a manifestation of fear, although that's certainly a component. But what can we learn from our anger about what it's telling about ourselves? And so, you know, before we get off the topic of Echoes of Recovery, we do encourage anyone who is the loved one of an alcoholic to check out our program of connection and vulnerability and empathy because there's a ton of really good healing there. And it isn't just me and you preaching to people. It's shared experiences, and we learn as much from the other people in the group as hopefully they learn something from us. And this this podcast episode is a perfect example. It's been three days since this discussion, and it's all I can think about, this twist on anger. So if you are interested in checking out what we have to offer at Echoes of Recovery, you can do so at echoesofrecovery.com, E-C-H-O-E-S of recovery.com. What this means to me, this whole concept that when we get angry, we need to look inward, look at ourselves. You know, again, anyone who's done any kind of personal growth work knows that we can't change other people. And God knows I tried. I mean, when I was drinking and I was convinced that all of the problems in our marriage, your intolerance, your lack of 
excitement to drink with me, you know, the, 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 the slightest little disagreement would turn into a blow up fight, all of that. I was convinced that that was on you. And that if I just looked hard enough and tried hard enough and was nice enough and cajoled well enough, I could find a way to change you and make you the person that I think you, I thought you needed to be to avoid these fights. So the lesson of learning that you can't change other people is one that so many people probably, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you, you probably have experienced firsthand that you can't change people. And then you have since probably learned it from 40 other directions that you can't change people because that's just, again, common knowledge. But the idea that the anger, we can't change other people, but how can we change ourselves? Or, or what does the anger mean about ourselves? Again, that, that's the concept that's just been rattling around in my head. You know, I, to me, it, it means when, when I'm angry, I, there's a situation that I don't have control over. Something's happening that I can't make it happen the way I want it to. And I've got to do one of two things. I've got to either find something in me that I can change to make the situation better. Or I've got to be prepared to move on. Move on away from that situation. I, I think those are the only the only two options. As an active alcoholic, Sherry, you know, I wanted to... And, and we hear this all the time. We, we hear this all the time through Echoes of Recovery and just other places through our writing and talking with people, you know, that there's so much blame for the bitchy wife when it comes to an alcoholic marriage. You know, I I drank because of what you did. And I felt that way, Sherry. There were times when I thought the reason I drink like this is because, because of the, you know, nastiness that you exert in our world. And if only I could change you, then all of our problems would be solved. But but we just we just know that is not the case at all. The the change the only change that we can control is our our self change, and the only other option is to move on. And I'm curious what what was your experience during the height of our alcoholic period, Sherry? When I was when I was drinking and and there were lots of fights, and I was blaming you for lots of things. Did you own any of that blame or, you know, what, what was your, was your anger, was it always directed just at if he would just quit drinking, that's what he needs to do? Or were there other things that would rattle around in your head about changes that could take place in the relationship to make things better? I think, I think both for sure. I thought, oh gosh, if he would just quit drinking and see how much better things would be and, you know, and I wanted to change you in that and I wanted you to understand that you were out of the normal realm of drinking, you know. Um, and so that made me angry. And then it made me angry because I felt like the alcohol changed your personality. Um, and so I would get, I would get like really defensive um, about talking to you or opening up to you or sharing with you because I knew that you could, you know, give me some advice because you thought that that would help the situation and control the situation. Um, like it, and I knew that if you were then the person you are now, that that's not how you would operate. Like I just, I knew that you would be different and, and so it's like you had to, con- I felt like you were doing a lot of like controlling of me um, because you were trying to control the things in your life that you could have some say and input in. So I felt like you just, you know, you had this like nervous energy and you had to like be aware of everything that was going on and it's like you had to double check everything. So that created a lot of anger in me because... I didn't feel like I, you know, I felt like I think I said this to you. I didn't marry someone to to be my parent, you know. So that would make me very upset and angry. And then, you know, sometimes it would be financial would be making me angry. And then I would be angry at myself that I let myself 
sit in this relationship and get involved in this relationship when I felt like kind of early on before we had kids that there were warning signs. Like, because we had, I had kind of stopped drinking as much after we moved away. And I felt like there was some maturity that, like you've talked about, that had happened in me. So then I was angry that I've, I had let myself be in this situation. When the very last thing I wanted was to be in this situation. I didn't want alcohol to ruin our lives. I didn't want it to ruin our marriage the way it did my parents. So, so I was like, just felt like I felt defeated and angry at myself because I thought, my God, like, I couldn't even control my own situation that I was in. Like, I must be really ridiculously unaware of listening to myself. So, you know, and I put like, and over time, like with having kids and then having our own business and, you know, we, I invested a lot of energy and time and gave up a lot of myself for the relationship where it wouldn't be easy to get out of. So then I became more angry because I felt more like trapped. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't want to feel trapped. I wanted to have this nice family and I wanted to appreciate and love my husband. I wanted to respect him. And so then it's like I became angry then about the things that I didn't have. Yeah. When when we look at anger in this way and we say anger is an indication that something needs to change. You can't change the other person. You can only change yourself. So your choice is to make that change in yourself or to move on. Those are really the only two changes, you know, the only two options that make sense. Looking back on it through that lens, when we look at our relationship, when I was drinking and I refused to acknowledge that the drinking was a problem, you were in a pickle. The The obvious option that everybody knows that you had was to leave. If you're in an alcoholic marriage, one of your choices is to leave. And for some people, that ultimately is the right choice. Even though you and I are working through things and our relationship is on the mend and we just wrote a book about recovering your alcoholic marriage and we believe that that can happen, even though that is a big part of our philosophy, we do acknowledge the fact that for some people, the only choice, the right choice, the healthy choice is to leave. So when when anger is just predominant in a relationship, especially a relationship that involves alcohol, one of the viable, healthy options is to move on. Mm -hmm. But then if you you say, okay, I'm not ready to do that yet, which was the case for us, you, you, you were encouraged at times to move on, to leave me, and you didn't. And so when you're in the mindset, I'm not ready to do that, I'm not there yet, but my my there a change has to take place and now you know like i said i'm really glommed on to this idea that we can't change others but what can we change in ourselves you know when we think about what you could have changed in yourself in the situation you were in in that alcoholic marriage knowing that you couldn't make me stop drinking it's it's a lot of the things that we have talked about it's detachment now this is hindsight, right? This isn't yeah. something that we went yeah. through. I, it was funny. You mentioned that and I kept thinking of the things that I did based on our conversations of how it was my anger and my, you know, issues that created the problems. Things that you did. Yeah. Things that I did, the way I behaved, what I brought, the baggage I brought into the relationship, you know. But did you actually make changes or did you just process the fact that, oh, Matt thinks this is my fault, so maybe this is my fault? Well, I definitely owned that and then I feel like I did try to work on it. Like I, we, I bought a book on anger and I bought a book on relationships. I mentioned like I would like to see a counselor because I feel like I did bring in a host of of issues, um, you know, and, and I didn't know where to begin. Yeah. Like that was my problem. I didn't know where to begin to look inward. And try to figure it out. I didn't know why I was so bitchy. I didn't know why I was so angry. I didn't know why I was so short-tempered. I didn't know why I was so stubborn. You know, all these different 
sort of things. So yeah. So yeah, like I mean, and then I was worried about doing too much research on the internet about alcoholism, and I didn't really quite understand codependency and stuff because I was afraid you would find those search histories. Yeah. And then that could lead to a big argument. Uh, well, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. You know. Absolutely. So feeling trapped is a good way to describe it. So we didn't do it right, I guess is yeah, the way yeah. to say it. I I certainly didn't do it right. I but didn't I don't, either. I don't think, yeah, the way you came through the relationship wasn't particularly healthy. But so when we, when we talk to people now that are going through what we've been through, you know, detachment is something that we talk with people about. If, if you can't make that loved one of yours that's drinking change, and we know you can't. We, you just can't. And you're not ready to leave the situation. You've got to remove yourself from uh, trying to be a part of controlling the uncontrollable. So, And that's what de- de- detachment is all about. It's, we're not saying you can't love that person anymore, but you got to you got to pull yourself out of the mess. You can't take the bait. You can't be involved in the fights. You can't think that they're drinking because you're a bitch. You can't think that they're drinking because of your childhood trauma or the influence that you've had over that person. They're drinking because alcohol is addictive. And end of story. So it's not your fault. The only thing you can control is how you react to it. And this is, you know, one of the things that people share with us all the time that is frustrating about Al-Anon is... You know, you go to an Al-Anon meeting and they they say things like, oh, you got to detach with love. And then they kind of like do the wiping their hands clean movement and move on. Like, there, I taught you what to do. Now just do it. It's way, way, way harder than than just learning what detachment means or learning what codependency means. It's, it's you know, you're dealing with a diabolical force and it's inhabiting the brain of the person that you're living with. And they are trying to counteract every move that you make so just being told that you need to detach and not get caught up in it and create boundaries and separate yourself from the situation and tell the alcoholic that you're not going to be around them when they're drinking and tell them that you're you know you're going to move into the spare bedroom and that as long as alcohol is in their life some changes are going to take place just saying that and, and then actually doing it is two very different things right well, and, you know, and I feel like sometimes you need some, like, concrete examples of, like, what it means to detach and what it means to be a codependent, you know, like, so you need to have, like, conversations, you need to understand what those mean, like, deeper down, and a few examples aren't going to, like, you know, necessarily, isn't going to necessarily answer your question, but I, I really wouldn't have had any idea what detachment meant. Well, and think how hard it would have been in our relationship. If you had said, Matt, I'm going to go sleep in a different bedroom. First of all, we don't have any <laughs> open bedrooms. We have four kids in a tiny house. So, But if you had said, I'm going to go sleep on the couch, I would not have been okay with that. Well, because they're love seats, and so they're not even full-size couches. It would be really uncomfortable. Our tiny house does no room for full-size couches. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, like, well, I mean, even just separating just for a few hours during an argument or something you're you know like what if one of the kids got up I mean that wouldn't that wouldn't have have worked but I wouldn't even have known like how to carry through or have the strength to actually understand detachment wasn't me withholding and being mean it was me trying to do something to kind of keep myself and and safe and from blowing up and I feel like if I had participated more in detachment properly like I am not going to take party in this argument like we could have saved ourselves hours upon hours of of you know sleepless nights but I question that because even if you had understood it better and participated better in detachment I wouldn't have had anything to do with it I mean I was convinced that you know, if we just tried hard enough, we could have this idyllic life that included alcohol. I was convinced that you just needed to be nicer and get along more. And so the idea of you sleeping in a different room or you refusing to be around me when I was drinking, I mean, I was trying so hard to control the drinking with my rules 
I'm not going to drink on the weekdays. I'm only going to drink beer. I'm not going to drink alcohol. All of those rules that we've talked about, until I was willing to give up, I wasn't willing to give up. And things like, you know, you not being around me when I drank, that's giving up. That's so, so, so yes, going back to the topic, anger, I'm fixated now on this topic, this idea that anger is an indication that we need to make, we're not accepting the situation we're in and we need to make a change to ourself or we need to remove ourselves from the situation. So for you, Sherry, when I was drinking, you would get mad, you would blow up. And those are, I believe now, your two options. Either you could change something in yourself or you could change the situation. And if you wanted to change something in yourself, meaning I'm going to go sleep on the little tiny love seat, I would have chased you out there and been like, hell no, yeah. you're not. We're going to fix this. We're going to we're gonna make this marriage fairy tale. Don't go to bed angry or don't go to sleep angry or whatever, like sort of philosophy, like we're going to work it out. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just, like this is all good in theory, but when the alcohol is still in the way, when the alcohol is still involved in the relationship, there's no room for logic and things that make sense. The alcohol's got to go. The alcohol's got to go for the person who's angry to be able to either make a change in themselves or remove themselves from the situation. The alcohol's got to go one way or the other. And if that means separation or leaving or divorce, that's the only way you can actually make that change in the in the situation, then that's that's got to be considered a viable option. Mm-hmm. Especially when your alcoholic is not hearing any of it when you talk about the other changes that you want to see made. I remember one time, like, thinking about, you know, changes I I needed to make and wanted to make. And I was so worried about sticking up for myself and really saying, I want to go see a counselor. And I was worried about what I was researching, but I did read like one article that kind of said something to the point of like, well, what if you did decide to go see a counselor? Like, how much is is your spouse? Like, is your spouse going to kill you? Is your spouse going to immediately divorce you? Is it going to be an argument? You're already having all these arguments. Yeah, so in our case, it would have been an argument, right? Yeah, it would have been an argument, absolutely. And But the thing was, you're already having a ton of arguments, so what's one more argument yeah. and one more topic to argue on? You know, they may throw it back up in your face, but, you know, you're kind of seeking help. And it kind of, it was leading to that, those, you know, this sort of like having these changes within yourself. And I feel like, I feel like when I read that, I was like, yeah, that's true. But then I was so scared. Yeah. I didn't want to have any more arguments. I didn't want to have any more ammunition. I didn't want to have any more thing to bring out, um... That would cause more conflict. Yeah. Understandable. I mean, and... and When you're already in pain, you don't want more pain. Yeah, and so, like, going to see a counselor, for me, would have been a cost thing and babysitting and finding time to do it. I mean, I couldn't, you know... It would have been... And then I felt... Then that made me feel lazy and not putting myself first. So then it became more anger. You certainly to had, you and to me. You certainly had a husband who at the time didn't have the appreciation for the importance of mental health that I do now. I scoffed at a lot of that stuff back then. Yeah. Wait, what, what do you want to talk about something? Talk about it to me. Just tell yeah. me what you're thinking. Yeah. I didn't understand. Yeah. So, you know, it, it just, I felt like I would read and I would get hopeful and then I would get frustrated because I'd feel defeated and then I would feel lazy and then... This is why it's easy to have those emotions because they're just all writing at the surface. The low self-esteem, the complacency, the disappointment. It's all just right there. And then anger is kind of a... I mean, it's kind of a sort of accepted emotion. Like, out of people. Instead of, like, being vulnerable and saying... Out of people in general or out of a relationship that's already well, full I of think, fights? I think kind of people in general. Like, like... <sighs> anger is what can fuel a change. Anger is what can, 
really, you know, not not anger and being verbally abusive or physically abusive and, and raging at people in yeah. particular, but the anger and the pain that you might feel when you see things that are going on in the world and it gives you motivation to help be part of the change, you know. Um, you know, like now the theory is for kids, like you don't want to scoff at them when they're angry. You want to talk about what's making them angry and help them understand the anger because anger is a natural emotion. But <clears throat> like we've said, like behind anger is so many other emotions. So um, that's why I felt like I was really angry because I, it wanted to motivate me to change. But then I also became really lazy and fearful of the changes that I would have to make. The one word I would reject in what you're saying is lazy. Well, but but here's why. I I think, you know, especially when we look at it this way, that anger isn't just a manifestation of fear, but it's it's also an indication to us that we need to do something, remove ourselves from the situation or make a change to ourselves. Okay, great. That sounds great. Now let me act on that. And then you look at all the barriers to you acting on that. Just what, what you just talked about, just going to see a doctor, just going to see a counselor, a therapist. You've got the expense, the babysitting, the anger that you're going to deal with coming out of me, the you know added arguments, certainly some self-doubt from what everything we know. It's not easy to choose a counselor. You might find someone that doesn't know what they're talking about or isn't particularly helpful. You know, sometimes it's hard to get in to see a counselor because they're so busy. There's just all these things in the way of doing what, you know, if we're going to accept the fact that we need to look inwardly when we're angry, what can we do? What can I change in me? Because I'm angry right now. It's still really hard. So I wouldn't call it lazy. I can I can see there being fear involved mm -hmm. and all kinds of other barriers. Yeah, I guess maybe lazy isn't the right word, but just... Um... Uh, but but lack I, of, I can also see where you would feel that way because it's lack if, you, of if you do nothing, if the alternative to doing something is doing nothing, then that makes you feel lazy, right? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So I guess it would be like, late, my laziness is categorized for me would be like, okay, you know, being afraid and, and you know, being like worried. And so it was just easier, yeah, not to do anything because of... Uh, you know, so laziness, I guess. Just really more fear. Yeah. More fear, more worry, more doubt. So, so to our listeners, if you are in the middle of this, if you are in an alcoholic marriage and you're angry a lot and you're being told that you're angry a lot because you're bitchy or you're, you're mean, you're intolerant, First of all, just discard all of that. Don't spend two seconds on that. Alcohol and alcoholism changes people. It doesn't just change the alcoholic. It changes the, changes the people that are in close contact with the alcoholic too. So any negativity that's oozing from your pores is the fault of the alcohol, not your fault. So just discard that whole idea. But then the second thing, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, okay, I've got two options. If I'm angry a lot, I've got two options. I can either remove myself from the situation or I can change something. I can make change myself. We, we want you to hear that we know how hard that is. We're not just throwing that out there like, there, problem solved. Go see a counselor. Sleep in a different bedroom. Tell your alcoholic you're not going to be around when they're drinking. It's easy. That's all you got to do. Monumentally hard. As is leaving. If you've dedicated some period of years, maybe decades of your life to someone, you've got pressures from many different directions. First of all, you loved this person at some point. Maybe you still love them. You don't want to give up. Maybe you've got kids. There's also the societal pressure. You know, I don't want to be a failure. I don't want my relationship to be a failure. So... I'm going to just keep suffering and putting on a pretty face and putting smiling pictures on Instagram and pretending like everything's fine. Isn't it, I mean, it is hard to think that, you know, 
that people have to have that thought that if my marriage didn't work, that I failed somehow. When I had that thought forever, for when decades. you know, there's like it's marriage is hard, and then you throw in an addiction, it makes it so much harder. Especially, you know? I, I believe now, and just that, living through it a little bit, you're like, why doesn't everybody just never get married? Yeah. Never attach themselves. Well, especially now that we know what we know about the impact of alcohol, not even alcoholism, but alcohol on relationships. It has a negative impact on so, so, so many relationships. Now that we know that, the idea that someone would uh, get a divorce to remove themselves from that situation, that to me shows a ton of courage and strength and intelligence. I mean, I'm not, and, and I, I'm not going, doing a 180 here and saying that you and I made a mistake and we shouldn't have stayed together, and that anyone who's dealing with alcoholism needs to immediately leave. What I am saying is, it's so difficult. There's no straight line. There's no correct answer. Every situation's different. What's your tolerance for the pain that you're in? What's your optimism that it'll change? What can you do? To make change, create change in yourself that'll make it tolerable. So hard. And we just, we feel for and empathize with and want to help in any way we can. Anyone who's on any side of that decision. Mm -hmm. So hard. Well, I think it's, I, I didn't realize... That when you were drinking, that you would be angry at me because I wasn't, like, living the life that you would want me to with you, you know, having a mature glass of wine, but then really drinking the whole dang bottle, like, on the front porch, like, that sort of... You didn't of. know that I... I mean, I would get I, disappo- mean, I would get outwardly I f- disappointed, I feel, right? like, disappointed, and... But I didn't know it was, like, an anger hmm. feeling. But again, I think anger, you know is the outward emotion and there's a lot behind it. Yeah. That we were at that time also too vulnerable and too inexperienced or too, you know, too worried about being vulnerable and too inexperienced to understand like, cause I was fearful of telling you how I really would feel in fear that it would be used against me. And I didn't really, and sometimes I still don't know why I'm angry about things. So, I guess I didn't realize it was anger. I thought it was more just disappointment from you. Well, that's what I want to talk about now. You said sometimes you still don't know why you're angry. You know, this discussion from a few days ago with our Echoes of Recovery group that altered my perception of what anger really is, that isn't sticking with me and still on my mind after a a couple of days because I'm thinking about the past. That's still on my mind because I'm thinking about the present. And, you know, we're going through this in real time. I I might not have had anything to drink for a few years, but that doesn't mean that the recovery is over and it's all lollipops and rainbows. There's, There's still recovery to our relationship taking place and there's still a lot of, you know, pain and learning involved. And we still have situations where there's a lot of anger between us. And it's, it's really insightful to me, again, to hear this conversation and to have this new perspective that, you know, I often get mad at you, Sherry, because of the difference in the pace of our recovery, of our personal recovery. We've talked a lot about the fact that an alcoholic in early sobriety needs to put everything they can, every bit of effort they can, into staying sober. And they need to move forward a million miles an hour. I don't drink anymore. This is the deal. Uh, I'm going to do, it in the evenings, I'm going to read for an hour instead of, instead of drinking when the witching hour hits, when the cravings start to hit. And I'm going to learn all this stuff about brain chemistry. And I'm going to learn about how I've got to learn to roll with the emotions and I can't just drink my emotions away. And oh, here's this thing about recovery nutrition. What I eat can determine the speed of my recovery. So now I'm going to change my whole diet around. 
and I'm going to do 19 other things that I haven't even mentioned. I'm going to do all of this all at once. And for you, Sherry, as the loved one, it can seem overwhelming to watch the alcoholic try to make all these changes. I'm going to go to meetings. I'm going to, you know, do the 12 steps. I got a sponsor. All these things, regardless of your mode of recovery, if you're doing something, you're probably doing a lot. And you as the loved one, your job in early sobriety is to sit back and wait for the relapse. Now, sure, you can be supportive and you can be encouraging, but the fact is you can't drop your defense mechanisms. You can't lower your guard because you've heard it and seen it all before and you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? Yeah, and also I think... You know, it's not just the other shoe to drop, but then if you've lived with an alcoholic, it's like a lot of times when you, when you, especially Matt, like set these different rules, this is my new change, this is, you know, or the food, that's what we're eating, that's what's making us angry. Like we're not eating the right kind of foods, we're eating some processed foods, we're getting, you know, like I I just kept thinking, oh, well, this is just going to, he's just going to change his mind, whether it be a, an alcoholic relapse or not, but I was like, I don't want to get too set in his pattern yeah. because then I'm just going to get shaken upside down like what? a snow globe, you know, 10 days from now, he's going to have this whole other theory Yeah, because you are like a thinker and you were always like trying to read and understand and develop very fast, but also in previously you had come across things sure. that had stuck with you in reading. So, you know, I was just worried too that like somewhere... We've got to, like, keep some of the, maintain some of the stability in our house. I'm not just going to go throw everything in the pantry away and only cook this certain way now. Sure. So I'm in early sobriety. I'm going a million miles an hour. I've got all these new ideas, all these new things I'm throwing at you. And your, so your two thoughts are, well, I'm just waiting for the relapse and also... I don't want to make all these changes. I've got kids and, a, you know, a food budget and we've got our patterns and our routines and we, we're very busy as it is. We can't just start incorporating all this other stuff into our lives. And maybe I'm thinking about it now. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but maybe no. it's also like I'm a little like I'm hesitant to believe what you're reading mm-hmm. because I feel like I've been sucked in so many times before with you trying to convince me of things that I'm like rebelling against. Well, that makes in, sense. In a sense, like I, I'm the guy like, that's trying to convince you this is all your fault. So yeah. why would you? Why would you so, believe anything well, I'm saying? Well, I'm, I'm saying like it just kind of, I, as ridiculous as it sounds, it did kind of click. Was like I, I seriously was almost like just rebelling. Like I am not gonna believe this because I've believed you know other things before, and I'm I'm gonna wait and see how it turns out. So this. This pace of recovery being different, it's not just for early sobriety. It carries on. It carries well on into the future. You know, we're not we're at a point now where you're not worried anymore whether or not I'm going to drink. That's off the table. Right. But but you're still your pace of recovery, the the adjustments that you're making to your health and your growth, they're they're different from mine. So we still have times when we don't line up. We still have times when we don't see eye to eye. And, and frankly, I don't see that ever changing. I mean, that's, that's part of living with another human being that you don't share the same brain with. You're, you're going to be in different places and have different opinions. And so the anger still flares up with us sometimes. And in some ways, it's even harder now because we don't have the alcohol to blame anymore. We can't just say, oh, if only Matt would stop drinking, then these we'd be able to manage these situations. Sometimes it gets pretty unmanageable even with the alcohol. And I, I tend, Sherry, to still think, oh, well, Sherry's just behind me in her recovery. She'll come around. She'll get there. So even though I know we can't change other people, my solution to my anger sometimes is still, oh, Sherry's changing. She's just changing slowly, and I wish she'd speed up her changing. I wish she'd get back to the feelings she used to have for me. I wish she'd 
love me differently. And that's just not how it works because again, that is me me trying to change another human. So when when we have problems in our relationship and the anger gets intense, what I'm kind of adopting from these discussions from earlier this week is I need to see what can I change in myself to handle the situation better? What changes can I make? You know, leaving, that's not a, that's not an option for, for us, I don't think, at this point. I mean, we've we've fixed too much to give up now. Like there's, and, and it's not like the anger rises to that level, at least not for me. I, I never give consideration to let's leave. The kind of anger that we face now isn't isn't as intense as the alcoholic anger, but it's still intense. And so if leaving isn't an option, what I'm learning now is I, I've got to see what what can I do to change the situation. So, you know, we've talked and we've written in our book, Sober Evolution, about the marriage recovery cycle. We talk about first you've got to deal with the resentments. And that's huge. And it can't be overlooked. Like, you got to do that before you can move on. And you've also got to deal with the kids if you have kids. And then you can start to rebuild trust. And that takes a long time and a lot of effort. And then after trust, the intimate relationship can, can return. And the places where you and I get stuck still years into recovery are in those kind of last two categories, the trust and intimacy. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I want it to be all better. And sometimes it's not. And rather than me trying to speed you along, I've got to just take a step back and say, hey, alcohol caused a lot of damage. I, me, Matt, I caused a lot of damage. And it's not going to be perfect. Anytime soon it might you know, it'll never be perfect. But the change that I'm waiting for, just waiting for it and hoping for it and encouraging you isn't working. So I've got to say, what can I change in myself? So this concept of what does anger mean when it's bad and you're in the middle of the alcoholic relationship, it's, it's, it's overwhelming but even when the alcohol's gone and you're just trying to repair things i mean i we know lots of people that are in that situation i'm my husband's a year sober my husband's 2 years sober and it's still not where it needs to be well that it appears to us is part of the process yeah unfortunately it took <clears throat> you know a lot of years to get us into a pickle where you were in active alcoholism and I, you know, I'm not saying, oh, it's going to take that long to get out of that, but I think, you know, it's going to take some time. I think, you know, I have a lot that I'm still discovering about, like, my own healing and and I wouldn't say recovery because... Other than, like, recovering who I was supposed to be back in, like, the beginning. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, how all of the life influences before I met you had then affected me when I brought him into the marriage. And how I need to learn about those things. And so like kind most of heal people, from those things, too. So, like most people, alcoholism is not the only thing that caused baggage for you to deal with. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, I definitely think like, you know, there's so much out there and it, it's a big rabbit hole and you can get very overwhelmed and very lost in trying to figure out all the things you need to do to be a whole healthy person. Um, you know, so 
it does take time and it, it takes time to find the things that are your answers you know and the things that you need to do is this a new stay. new concept though this redirecting the anger in, anger inward when 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 we have problems now this far into sobriety do you, do you think now that you can't say and neither of us can now that we can't say oh if, if only we can get alcohol out of the relationship it'll get better do you think oh i need for matt to change x y and z or do you think what can i change to make it better no, what's th- that process like when you're angry well i i think it's you know i know it's me like i know it's my issues and it's my problems and i got to and i've got to figure out what's behind the anger and where is it coming from and what's driving it cuz some things that are so ridiculous i don't even understand like what what some of like the things that make me feel the anger and I like look back and I'm like oh I'm fearful but then why am I fearful about that you know why am I worried about this why why am I still sometimes worried about approaching you about silly scheduling issues you know so you're like it's there's there's this hesitancy and it's this holding back and I don't understand because it's not like I'm going to be worried that you're going to A, walk out the door and be like, that's it, I'm done with you because you scheduled a hair appointment and we're, you know, we were supposed to do this and you made a mistake. Like, it's not like I get verbally abused by you. It's not like you don't give grace. You understand that things, you know, get overlooked in making schedules. So I don't understand why I'm so hesitant. And it that's just like one piece of it. So it's very weird when I start like, really investigating it's so interesting though that you when you when you feel anger you already know that you know what what can I be doing to make the anger better and I still until this kind of conversation earlier this week I still look at anger like how can I change and control this situation to make it better how can I convince Sherry so that the anger can go away? And you're looking at what can you do to improve your own personal situation. So you're, it's funny. I, it's not funny, but you're just way further ahead of me. Well, and I think, well, I think that maybe that is like that negative self-talk. Like, you know, again, there's no more alcohol in our relationship to cause me anger. And, and I know... I'm not angry at him. I might be angry because he's so much better organized at his calendar and he's not the one that made the mistake on the scheduling. So I'm such a dipshit that I made the mistake. And, you know, so then I also feel like sometimes, you know, when I'm angry and um, I just think behind that is like a worry or a fear or concern but why can't I kind of calm myself down and look at the bigger picture? Because, I mean, honestly, there's nothing that you do that angers me. I show a lot of anger, but there's nothing that you do that angers me. I just, it's it's very much anger at myself. So when that was talked about, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I know that I am just, I'm an angry person. And, I mean, somehow it's because maybe I'm just not happy with myself or the things that I've done or the things I've not done or I've let myself down or I've been disappointed so I gotta kind of figure that out yeah that's that's interesting I'm just kind of at a loss because you already understood this when we had this discussion earlier this week and it's all it's news to me I didn't I didn't understand it Uh, and I I do now. And, you know, I I want to I want to say that I feel like I'm defending myself here, but I'm super impressed with the progress you've made. And I I know hearing it from me isn't going to change the way you feel about yourself. But I'm very I'm very proud of you for for how you've weathered this storm. I'm proud of you for staying with me when it was really, really bad. And I'm proud of you for dealing with the very selfish period of early recovery for me. 
and I'm proud of you for sticking with me when I didn't understand that it was the alcohol that caused the problems and that removing the alcohol wasn't the solution, wasn't the only solution. It was only a prerequisite. I'm very proud of you for all the ways you've developed. Well, thank you. But saying that doesn't change the way you feel about yourself, does it? No, and I guess... You know, and that makes me sad, too. It's because I should be happy that... And I should feel good that you're giving me a compliment or other people give me compliments. And it's, you know, I'm getting a little better. I'm I'm trying to own up and say thank you. And I'm trying to, you know, accept them. And I mean, I think that we're all, I think that, you know, a lot of us who have been married to an alcoholic have so much self-doubt. That's like, it's like that it's like they just don't it believe it. Yeah, can't can't get it out. And, and I think that a lot of us that have married into an alcoholic had some sort of, you know, stuff there before that made it so easy and tolerable. And we already had a lot of low self esteem or not a great, you know, yeah. or a great understanding of what a happy, healthy marriage should look like. Yeah, that it was easy for us just to so. We already were kind of on the spectrum of low self-esteem and so. But I I like how we talked about a little bit how your anger should be self-reflected and it should be a way to to drive you to fix those things. Well, I like that because it it was new new information, but it sounds like you like it because you've felt that way for a long time. Yeah, but I think it's a good reminder. Yeah. And I think it's a good you know it's a good world sort of reminder like, like yeah the la- a bigger picture reminder the last thing i'm i'm really nervous right now cuz i don't want us to send the wrong signal the last thing we don't the last thing we want to do is to encourage people who already have as you described a lot of self doubt and spend a lot of time blaming themselves to take their anger and use that as something else that they can blame themselves for we're not saying that because anger isn't isn't the re- isn't isn't the real reason, you know. Like it's not the, or the not the true feeling. It's just the outward the expression of it's other the, emotions. Yeah, because yeah. behind anger, there's always something else lingering. Yeah, and so you just gotta go deep with what is triggering the anger. Yeah, and that's what we're trying to do on this podcast, and that's what we try to do in Echoes of Recovery too. Is just go deep and try to figure it out we are you know we as we always say we aren't psychologists we aren't reading out of a book and telling you how to fix your problems quite to the contrary we're living our our marriage in real time and i think this episode is a really good example of that because we didn't come into this with a script we came into this with a discussion topic and i learned a lot and I know, I know you're you're trying to do better at accepting compliments, and you're trying to, you know, not not hold such a heavy burden. But I just want to say one more time, I love you, Sherry, and I'm super impressed with the progress you're making. And. I'm glad alcohol's out of our life because I'm glad it's giving you the room to develop and grow the way you're trying so hard to do. And I'm also glad that I've learned that when I'm angry, it's not about how I can help you move along in your recovery. It's about what can I do to adjust my perspective and make the anger go away. i got to internalize it. So, if you're confused after having listened to this hour, you're not alone. But that's what the messiness of marriage recovery is all about. If you'd like to read about the steps we've taken so far and the, mo- the changes we've made in our relationship so far that's gotten us to this point, we would love for you to pick up a copy of our book, Sober Evolution, 
evolve into sobriety and recover your alcohol alcoholic marriage you can find it at soberevolution.org or wherever else you buy books for my wife sherry salis my name is matt salis and we thank you for listening to this episode of the untoxicated podcast